those currently in K-5 who are, and those who are currently in third grade, you are dismissed for junior church. Now, Peter is back in the back. If you may, if you're a parent or you're a young person, we have kids' sermon note sheets. Peter has them in the back. If you would like one or you would like one for your child that can take some notes, put your hand up and Peter will get them to you. Oh, my name. Okay. Keep them up. Peter will get to you, but uh, he's, he's not as young and in shape as he used to be. <laughs> that was just a joke. He's definitely more in shape than I am and definitely younger than I am, so that's for sure. The rest of you, I hope you brought your Bibles with you. If you didn't, you'll find one under a pew chair near you. Uh, there were some over here, Peter, also. Uh, uh, if, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to start looking at that chapter in verse 12. We started this chapter a ways back, and we looked at what the gospel is. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then we went on to look at what the resurrection was and how we know the resurrection took place. In other words, evidence for the resurrection. Uh, the Gospels give us the account, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15 give us details that you won't find in the Gospels. And it explains why it's so important. Obviously, the Gospels made that clear too. But it goes beyond that. And today, we're going to look at celebrating the resurrection by having this resurrection and Christ himself as the standard for our believing, the standard for our ministry and a few other things as we look at this. So that's where we're at this morning. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Here's what it says. Now, if Christ is preached, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. If the resurrection is not true, we have nothing. That's the bottom line. Because guess what? The one we look up to, the one we say we trust, didn't rise from the dead. Because he is the resurrection. He is the life. And he's the truth. He is the original. We'll see that in a few moments. That he is the first fruits of the resurrection. But if we don't believe in the resurrection or we treat it lightly, we're acting as if Christ didn't rise from the dead. And indeed he did. We saw the evidence for that in the past. But the resurrection is the representation. It's real, but it also represents the facts that happened on the cross. See, Christ died for our sins. He is God in the flesh. Resurrection proves that. He said, I can lay down my life and I can take it up again. Resurrection proves that what he said he would do, he said he was going to die for the sins of the whole world. If he died and there was one sin in all eternity, all time, for all people, all circumstances that was not paid, God the Father could not have raised him up from the dead. Guess why? Because he would have had sin on him that would have 
stop God the Father from putting his stamp of approval, the proof, on a finished, complete, and perfect work. But indeed, Christ died for the all sin. And the res- resurrection proves that God the Father was satisfied for his payment that he made for sin when he shed his blood, when he gave his body to die for us on the cross. God the Father was absolutely satisfied. And as a result, it is very clear that he raised him from the dead. Think about it this way. You've probably heard about Roman history and how they persecuted Christians and crucified Christians and burned them at the stake, fed them into the lions and uh, in the stadiums. In the And uh, lots of people went through that. They went through that maybe because they were criminals. Okay? And some people that died on crosses were criminals. How do I know that? The gospel story makes it clear. The two people on either side of Jesus got exactly what they deserved. They got a death penalty. They were dying for their sins, for their crime. Other people died for various other reasons simply because they were being persecuted. Lots of people died on crosses. Not an unusual thing. In fact, is uh, there are stories that there were crosses everywhere. Romans were cruel. You didn't do what they said. You paid a price. Lots of people died on crosses. But there was one, that middle cross. That person on that cross was different than all the rest. Because out of all those other crucifixions, not a single one of them ever rose from the dead. His was different. He had something in his life and in his ministry and in his work on the cross that was different. They died for various reasons. He died for one reason. He took my sin and yours on himself. And when he died, he paid the full, complete, and total price for our sin. And as a result of that, God the Father raised him back up from the dead. Never to die again. Remember, other people have been raised from the dead before that. I'll just keep using Lazarus probably this morning. He rose from the dead. Poor guy had to die again. Can you imagine that? I've I've seen death. um, I'm 66 now, and I've seen enough death in my life to kind of go, you know what? Death is never pretty. It just isn't. Nobody goes, oh, I'm dying. Isn't this wonderful? I've yet to see that. Lazarus had to go through it twice. But the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was once and done. He died and rose never to die again. That wasn't true. Other people have been translated. Enoch walked with God and he was not. He walked with God. But he never died. There were others like that too. But the point is this. The resurrection of Christ is different. It's different than all the other crucifixions. It's different than all the other resurrections. Because he, and we'll get to this again, he's the first fruits. He represents something that had never happened before. And so, if we don't believe in resurrection, and we treat it lightly, and we don't make it a part of our ministry. You see, every ministry that we have, if the resurrection is not overtly or in some way attached to our ministry. We have religion. By the way, we might even have some nice, good, fuzzy, warm results. Okay, some beneficial things may happen. 
But you know what? It's not gospel ministry. Because the gospel says Christ rose again. So any ministry that leaves out the resurrection is an incomplete ministry. Christ is that standard that we have for believing. We believe not only in his death, but his resurrection. But we go to the next one, picking up in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we're even found to be false witnesses of God. Why? Because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he didn't raise. If, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Notice that whole thing about ministry. It comes back to the resurrection. The resurrection is to the new life. The death on the cross is the payment for the sin. The resurrection makes available the life of Christ. If you have a new nature in you, that means you've trusted Christ, you're born again. You have a nature that can never sin. Why? Because you got it from God, from Christ. As a result of his resurrection, you also have an old nature in you that can never be reformed. It can never be tamed. It can never be made something that it's not. It's always against you. We have a new nature. And we preach that Christ was risen. Why? Because I don't want to have a ministry that's or preaching that's in vain. Vain simply means empty, futile, worthless. You say... Yeah, but there's all kinds of cults and all kinds of other people that don't preach a gospel message. They're not sure about Christ and the resurrection and all those things. But but they, they do a lot of good things. I'll totally agree with you. They do a lot of good things, humanitarian type things. Nothing necessarily wrong with those kinds of things. Here's the bottom line. It doesn't glorify God. Because God says... The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so if the resurrection is not a part of everything we do as a church, we are absolutely missing the mark. God wants us to make sure that the resurrection is included. If it's not, the work of Christ on the cross is still left not unfinished. It's finished. But we don't know the end result. The end result is he rose again. And because he rose again, we have a faith that is not in vain. In fact, as he says, your preaching is in vain. And he also says that um, everything else that we do uh, is in vain. Our faith, our trust in him is vain. It comes to emptiness. It comes to nothing. In fact, is it leaves us empty-handed, not only personally, but empty-handed when it comes to the ministry that we have. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it says this, He, this is Jesus Christ, who was delivered over because of our transgressions, our sin, our iniquity, and was raised because of our justification. There are those that teach that the resurrection is what justified us. That is not true. What made it possible for God to justify us is the shed blood, the payment for sin. 
You see, it says it was we were raised because of our justification. Because of what was true. When we trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross, he justified us. Now, lots of people, and maybe you were one of them, I was, that were taught justification means just as if I had never sinned. That is not a good definition. Not even close. That is the definition of forgiveness. If you're forgiven, it's like it never happened. Justification is not that at all. Justification says you did it. You were wrong. You were a sinner. You were a criminal. You were whatever. You came short of the glory of God. But God, on the basis of the work of Christ, legally declared you righteous. Right with God. According to God's standard. Justification says, you're dead guilty. They got you. You've been busted. You're wrong. You deserve punishment. But I am going to, on the basis of what someone else has done, put something on your account. You see, grace is free. God offers us salvation. If you trust in Christ, he offers salvation. You simply need to accept it by faith. But just because it's free does not mean it's cheap or inexpensive. Because Christ died. He had to go to the place where he had a broken fellowship with his father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he could say, it is finished. Because he paid for those pri- the price of that sin. And that fellowship no longer was broken. The sin's paid for. God couldn't look on the sin that was yours and mine that Jesus took on himself at the cross. In fact, is it says that God is the one that raised Christ from the dead. But just think about it this way. In John chapter 10, Christ makes a couple of statements that are fantastic type statements. He says, I have the power to lay down my life, to give up my life. And I have the power to take it up again. Only Jesus Christ could say, I dismiss my spirit. That's what he did on the cross. He said, he breathed his last and dismissed his spirit. None of us can do that. By the way, that's not suicide. He dismissed his spirit. Nobody could do that. He's God. But it didn't stop there. Because he said, I also have the power to take it up again. He's God. He has the power of resurrection, just like God the Father. But in this case, the Bible is clear that while he could have done that, and he said he could, God the Father is the one that raised him up. So he has God the Father vouching, giving credit to the ministry that he had performed on the cross when he shed his blood. To pay for our sins. God the Father is the one that raised them up. But Christ is also our standard for living. Look in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. We are still in our sins. Sin simply means to miss the mark. That's exactly what it means. Look it up. 
means to miss the mark, like you would shoot an arrow at something. And you just can't hit the target. That would probably be me. Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to hit the target. Well, guess what? That's true of all of us spiritually. None of us can hit the mark. We cannot meet God's standard. We cannot hit the bullseye. We cannot even get close. He says that if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is worthless. If Christ hasn't been raised, the biggest fool in this building is me. Oh, and by the way, you're right on my heels. Because your faith. You came here saying, we're, we're here to praise the Lord. And, and Will, again, you got the songs that had the resurrection in them. Good for you. Uh, we didn't plan that. But you know what? You sang about the resurrection and how great it is and all those things. You're fool if it didn't happen. You're self-deceived. You have nothing to sing about. You have nothing for joy. There's just nothing that's worth worshiping God about. Because the resurrection is that power. We were, he was raised for our justification. We were buried with him and we were raised in the newness of life. That resurrection life that he has given. But he is the one that did that first. And because he did that and we believe him and we have faith that is not worthless. By the way, if you want to find something that's convoluted, I am not the greatest person in English nor Greek. So I'm going to tell you that right off the front. I study like crazy, but, but I'm not that good at it. And we had a teacher, a theology teacher, a guy who was way smarter than me. And he would give us a simple quiz and he would use double negatives. And if you want to study something that got double negatives in it, this passage got them all through. Paul's a very smart guy. And uh, he gets his point across, bam, bam, bam. But this professor would give us a quiz. And one or two of the quiz questions would be a double negative. I knew the answer. But I could not figure out. I'd have to sit there for five minutes trying to figure out. Now, is that true or false? I know what, the, I know what it should be. But I couldn't figure out if the answer should be true or false because of the double negative side. Anybody else like that? With Or am I the only person that gets goofed up on that? Okay, there's a few people that admit it. Put it this way. If I start talking to double negatives, all of you go home and say the guy lost his mind. Most likely. But anyhow, the point is, Paul does a lot of that. But the one thing that all, all, ultimately comes out is that if Christ isn't raised... Your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. You have nothing to rejoice about. You have nothing to sing about. You have no reason to gather in fellowship. None of those things are true. But Christ has been risen, has risen from the dead. Let's go on to verse 18. Christ is the standard for dying. It says in verse 18... Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Notice he said, you don't have any hope. You have nothing. In verse 18, it says, those who have fallen asleep. It's interesting. The Greek word used there is the word cemetery in English. 
We say that and we see, I, I believe I heard this of John McCain this week on the news, that his final resting place was going to be so and so. I don't agree that's not his final resting place, okay, because there is a resurrection. But earthly speaking, final resting place. Cemetery, that's where this, that word comes from. And he says, those that are in the cemetery, in their final resting place, they're sleeping, they're in that, that uh, place. When I do a funeral... Many times I will turn around and uh, I will look at the casket and kind of go like this and say, Grandma, Grandpa, Uncle, so-and-so, they're not here. Their body is. The shell, the tent that they lived in is here. But they're gone. But there they are. And I don't know if you ever noticed, most of you have been to a funeral at one time or the other, did you ever notice that in the casket, nobody is ever laying face down? Did you ever notice that? The funeral directors, and by the way, I give them credit. I, I don't know how they do their job, but they do a great job. I've worked with lots of them. They make the person laying there like this. Boy, do I look dead when I do that? I hope I don't. <laughs> but they try to make the person look alive like they're sleeping. Shouldn't surprise us that the Bible uses that kind of imagery. And they do a great job with the makeup and, and, you know, all of those types of things. But you know what? If that's the end, we've simply perished. There's no hope. There's nothing to look forward to. And he says, if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we're to be pitied. Here's why. Think about this. The world around us, and we wonder sometimes, why do the wicked prosper? Hey, why do the... Why do, and, and people tell me this. It's like, my unsaved friends, I have a better time with them than I do Christians. I've heard that one way too many times. Okay? It's like, well, they just accept me the way I am. Well, they have no standard, for one thing. But the point is this. If this life is all there is, then eat, drink, and be merry. Get all the fun you can. Get all the thrills you can. Live life to the fullest. Live for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about if you're broke. Spend all your money. You know, just have a great time. You see, if there's nothing in the future, anything that you would, and I do not look at it this way, but anything that you give up to live for Christ really stupid because this is the best it gets but you know what there are a lot of things i don't do and i know you're like me there are a lot of things we don't do could i of course i could i'm just like anybody else i could do those things but i choose not to do them because they don't glorify god and they don't represent who i am they don't represent the resurrection life that's in me so i choose not to do them so eat drink and be merry is not my theme I want to live for the glory of God. Whether I eat or drink or whatever I do should be all to the glory of God. Which means there are a lot of things in this life I don't participate in. That's not legalism. It just makes a choice. I don't believe that's going to you know, help me. It's not going to glorify God. It's not going to be a benefit to somebody else. So I just leave it out. I just don't do it. Well, guess what? If there is no hope in the resurrection, then don't live that way. You're to be pitied. Because the best it's ever going to be, you've just missed out on.
But I don't believe that for a second. And the scripture doesn't teach that for a second. Because we are fools for Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. That those that are following the word of the cross, the concept of the cross, we're fools for Christ. We look a little foolish. You mean you don't do that? You don't want to participate in this? You don't want to be there? Yeah. You know what? I don't miss any of those because I have a higher goal. A resurrection goal. A, a, something that's way beyond this world. I get joy from living in this world. I hope you do too. God is not a killjoy. But here's what it is. Hedonism is just living for pleasure. In essence, there's more to it than that. But it's living for pleasure. Living for yourself. That is not what the resurrection life is about. It's living for Christ. Because He Himself is the resurrection. And then He gives me His resurrection life. And I can live a life that's above the eat, drink, and be merry. That's what I can do. That's what He wants me to do. Verse 20, I already read it. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Interesting, there are a number of other passages. I'll just read a couple of them that point this out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenlies. In Christ Jesus. You see, not only do we have resurrection life here and now, but we are effectively already placed in heaven. That's our home. It's not a hope so. We have resurrection life. And resurrection life says, hey, there's a mansion. There's a place. There's a dwelling for you in heaven. That's what the scripture says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us to you, to God the Father. Think about that. Our resurrection is right parallel with Christ. He did all the work, but our resurrection by faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior is parallel to him. Notice what it says. Raised us, uh, 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 yeah, the Lord Jesus will raise us also. Okay, hang on a second. I've got to start at the right place. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. Parallel. What happened to Christ is what happens to us. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, lots of you have made this possibly your life verse or a verse that you go back to on a regular basis. That I may know him, that's Jesus Christ, and, what's the next part? Anybody? The power of his resurrection. You all knew that. Just didn't want to say it. But you know what? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Wow. You notice that? Everything we have is in Christ. What he did, he did it for us. Where he goes, we go. What he has done for us, we benefit from. That's the resurrection life. Though the truth of the matter is, we live the resurrection life. And notice in verse 20, it doesn't end where I ended. It says, but now Christ, who has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. 
of those who are asleep. That sleep is the same word we looked at before. He is the first fruits. If you don't know this yet in the Testament, the first fruits was this. At the time of harvest, they would go to the edge of the field. They would take their sickle or their scythe, and they would take a bundle of grain, a sheaf of grain. And they would take it to the tabernacle or the temple, and they would present it before the Lord. As a token of what was to come. They were thanking God ahead of time for the harvest. That sheaf is not the harvest. It's just a token of the harvest. But what was to come was the real harvest. But this represented the harvest. Jesus Christ says, I am the one that represents the resurrection of all believers. I'm the one that represents that. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can do to improve it because He is the one. He is the first and the foremost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 23, which we're not looking at this morning, but each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. We'll look at that in a future sermon. But he is not anything but the firstfruits. He doesn't simply represent that or something else. He is the firstfruits. His resurrection is the one that ultimately matters. We're going to close this sermon in the next few minutes with a passage of Scripture that uh, takes me to my edge. You know why? Because I like to think by the time I'm done studying, I can stand up here or talk to somebody and say, this is exactly what it means, and there is no other way this is what it means. I kind of like, I'm a black and white kind of guy. Well, this one here takes me to my edge because there are some things I can't understand. But I will get to the conclusion. There is one conclusion. And that, well, let me get to the conclusion when I get there. Let's look at this passage. Matthew chapter 27. There are no parallels anywhere else in the Bible. So I couldn't find anything else to say. Okay, here, this helps explain it. It says there, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. You know, when that happened, he's dying on the cross and he dismisses his spirit. We talked about that. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. It's 15 feet high. There are no step ladders. Nobody went up there and tore it. In fact, is uh, tradition says that the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies was so thick that you could hook two teams of oxen to it and could not tear it. It was very thick. It was very strong. It's a miracle. God opened up the holy of holies from the top to the bottom. He did it. It's a miracle. That doesn't happen normally. There's no other place like that. And it says the earth shook and the rocks were split. Notice it doesn't say the rocks rolled around. It says they were split. This is an earthquake of unprecedented power. Something happened that was not normal. Can you imagine? Christ gives up his spirit. There's a big ripping sound in the temple. I'm, this is my sanctified imagination. And outside, it is just banging and crashing and cracking all over the place. Everything is shaking. Wow, something's happening. 
But it doesn't stop there. It says the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Notice they would fallen asleep again. These are people. They're saints. They are true believers. They are not part of the church, but they're true believers. And it says the tombs were opened. And the bodies of the saints that were dead were raised. The tombs, the way it sounds to me, and there's a key word we're going to look at here in a moment. The tombs were broken open, it seems, by the earthquake. But the bodies, it seems, were not raised until Christ was raised. And I'll show you why. And I'm not sure that I know the bottom line answer to this. So I'm just going to be honest with you. I spent a lot of time on it and couldn't figure it out. And coming out of the tombs after he was raised... Uh, after his resurrection, they entered in the holy city and appeared to many. The key word there, and you notice I have some definition, it's the word after. You may have a, a version of scripture that has a different word in there. And it could be very different than this one. Here's why. Because the word that is used there in Greek can be translated in three different directions. It could be with. In other words, it happened at the same time. Occurred at the same time. It can mean after, as New American Standard translates it, it can mean after, or it can actually mean before. It doesn't help. I racked my brain and I couldn't come up with anything better. But it does seem, and I believe, that they, that while they didn't come out on, of the grave until after he was raised. That part we know. But when were they raised? We don't know. We just simply don't know exactly when it happened. But here are the conclusions. And, the, and uh, we'll look at them. First of all, Christ is the firstfruits. He didn't become the firstfruits. He is the firstfruits. The Bible's very clear about that. We are the harvest. Later on, it's going to say, and his at his coming. Then comes the end. So those of the, those of the church who have believed in Jesus Christ, they are the harvest. They are the full harvest. They're not the the sheaf. That's Jesus Christ. We're the harvest. It looks to me, you can argue with me. I'm not going to argue with you because this is as good as I can do. I have nothing more to add. In, In Matthew chapter 27, it seems to me that this is simply a token amount of people that are a foretaste of the harvest itself. Now, the real question comes, and this one here is the one that bothered me the most, is, were they like Lazarus, who they were raised and then they had to die again? By the way, it says many. We don't know how many. Uh, It just says saints. It says, uh, it came to, they might have to die again. I don't know that. All depends if it was before, with, after. We, we just simply don't know that. Or they may have been raised with glorified bodies. Now, if they were raised for glorified bodies, that raises a bunch of additional questions, like how long were they there? It said they appeared. So did they appear and then they, they were gone? I, we just simply do not know. But here's what I know, because if God wanted us to know exactly what their resurrection bodies were like, he wouldn't have left it kind of open-ended. So when you look at that, you go, it could be this, could be this. Either way, 
They are a result of the resurrection of Christ. They are raised from their, their tombs. That's the bottom line. My personal opinion is we don't need to know which one of the first two because there's no way biblically that you can nail it down. But they are a token of what it be true is true for us. Remember, we're the harvest. They were not part of the church. We're the harvest. They are simply a token of what is going to happen in the future. When the Lord descends and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then which we who are alive and remain will be caught up. They're just a small token. I don't know. Did they have to die again like Lazarus? Or did they have a glorified body and then God just snatched them away after they appeared? Simply do not know. All I know is the resurrection life, whether it's our ministry, our faith, or any other part of our lives here and now, shows the power of God in action. We are raised with Christ. And this, the end result is that we will, we will have a resurrection. The harvest will take place. And he just gave us this little beep. Hey, this is what it's like, folks, when Christ comes back. Graves will open and people will be resurrected, glorified bodies. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, our faith is not in vain. Our ministry is in vain. Our living isn't in vain. If we are living out the resurrection life that Christ made available to us. Lord, I pray that if we are really joyful and excited and really believe what we've heard this morning from your word, that we'd have a whole different approach to our life. If there's someone here that's never trusted Christ, that they would realize that that resurrection proves that Christ did what he said he would do, and that is forgive sin. And that if we have our faith in him, it is not worthless, but it's powerful to give us resurrection life. If anyone's not trusted Christ, Lord, I pray that they would simply realize that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was for them. And they would ask Christ to save them. But for most of us, we've already trusted Christ. I pray that we would minister in that power, that we would not be timid, that we would not be laid back, but that we, in every part of our lives, would show that resurrection life. In what we do for other people, in what we say, in the way we worship, the way we sing songs, the way we fellowship with other believers that we would live out the resurrection to the fullest. Because truly our faith is not in vain in Christ. Lord, thank you for reminding us of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, go with God, and proclaim the resurrection.